As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. My monthly bills right now are about 19,000 bucks and my passive income is over 50. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Heard of crowdfunding and still curious about how you can benefit from it? Well, we've got a step-by-step guide put together just for you by the best ever team and patch of land, the industry's leading crowdfunding experts. The best crowdfunding crash course ever, episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173 will provide you all you need to know to get started and begin benefiting immediately. Whether it's getting access to funds for your project or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started with Patch of Land. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to another episode of the best real estate investing advice ever. This is Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Pat Hyben. Pat, hello. What's up, Joe? Nice to meet you. And we've, well, we I guess we've met before because I was on your show. Pat's also the host of the popular podcast called Real Estate Rockstars, and I very much enjoyed having my conversation with him and excited to kind of turn the table on you and get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, well, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it as well. All right. Well, before we dive in into your background in more detail, let me give uh, the best ever listeners a little bit more context. Pat has quite an accomplished career in real estate. He's a top producing real estate agent and owner of the Hat Hyben Group with Keller Williams. He's based in Baltimore, Maryland. He's an active investor doing deals. In fact, he has 12 single family homes. He has seven apartment buildings. He has a strip center. He has an office building and he has 14 private companies. So he is very busy and very accomplished. And we've, we've got a lot to learn from him. He's also, for you real estate agents out there, he was awarded number one Keller Williams realty agent in units sold nationwide in 2006 and non-real estate related. He was diagnosed with a learning disability or learning disabled, rather, in school. He graduated college with a 2.3 
and here he is today with a large real estate portfolio. So really excited to hear your story, Pat, and learn from you. So can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I basically have followed two board games, Joe. The first is Monopoly, which is, you know, everyone's played Monopoly. You know, you buy the little green houses, you trade them in for the big red hotels. That's exactly what I did. I've bought and sold over 50, 60 houses now, maybe more, and, you know, taken the cash and then bought into apartment buildings and and bigger red hotels. And then the second game is of Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant, which basically says, you know, buy enough real estate so that it pays your monthly bills. My monthly bills right now are about 19,000 bucks and my passive income is over 50. So I have out of the rat race on cash flow quadrant by about 30 grand. And then what Kiyosaki says is then at that point, you can start uh, investing in things that tend to be, at least for me, a little more funner and exciting than a piece of real estate uh, private company. So I have invested in 14 private companies and then, and that's where I'm at. Uh, just all from learning from board games. Wow. All right. Well, I love board games. So that rings really true with me or, or resonates with me. So let's talk about your background a little bit and how you got into it. Let's take the Monopoly example. You bought and sold over 50 to 60 houses. You take the cash and you buy it in apartment buildings. Let's go back to your first purchases. Did you anticipate taking this approach? And if so, or if not, can you elaborate on why or why not? Yeah. You mean the first things that I ever bought? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first house I ever bought, I think I was about 22, 23 years old and I bought a a townhouse. I actually rented out, I, I stayed in a bedroom upstairs, rented out the master bedroom to a friend and then rented out the basement to two girls. So after my tax break, I was living there for free. And I did that for four or five years. Before I moved out of there, I actually bought my second one. And of course, that cash flowed. So, you know, that's what I did the first time I did it. I, I remember it was 325 bucks was actually what was left over after the mortgage was paid. And my tax break for owning a house was like 400 some bucks. So I came, I came out, you know, ahead from day one when I bought that first one. Oh, that's great. That's the way to, to get rocking right out of the gate. You're living in a townhouse, you're renting out the other rooms, and now what happened? Did you use that money and save it to buy other homes? Mm -hmm. Did you sell that and use that money to pay for something else? How did you approach it? Yeah, I bought another property, or, you know, a couple streets over, same exact unit, same exact style unit. So I had two of them. And then eventually I got married and my wife got pregnant and uh, it wasn't in the best neighborhood. It, typically your highest rents aren't or your, your highest cash flow per dollar per square foot are not. I remember uh, my wife was pregnant. We were living there and the next door neighbor stabbed uh, it was a stabbing, basically. It was like on Easter Sunday, and it, there was a stabbing, and there was all these cops, and you know, there was a fight in my next-door neighbor's house and a stabbing. Anyways, make a long story short, uh, we were like, we got to get out of here. So we bought something bigger, and then I had three houses at that point, and that was like you know, three or four years into it or something. So 
you've moved away from the area that you, you need to move away from, and you've got these three homes. At what point did you start taking the, the profits from the homes and exchanging them into the Red Motels? That was probably a good 10, 12 years later after I got some equity in them. You know, all the properties that I bought and still buy, I tried to put a decent amount down. I never wanted to, you know, leverage myself on these things. So generally 20% down on the majority of them I put, you know, and then to answer your question, I waited till the loan to value was maybe 50% or 60%. And I, you know, that 20% now was 40% equity or 50% equity. And then I sold a bunch of them and uh, started putting them into bigger things. And are you doing 1031 exchanges? Yeah, on a lot of them. It just just depends if I'm making money off them. Uh, But yes, for the most part, I'd say yes. And what are you buying right now? I still buy everything. It's funny. In the last 12 months, I've bought two more row houses in Baltimore City and rented them out Section 8 just because the numbers work so well. I about six months ago, I bought another uh, into another apartment complex. We're looking at a, another apartment complex right now as we speak. So if the numbers work, I buy. And you know what I buy is income producing real estate. I won't buy a lot in the path of growth, hoping that you know I'm going to buy it for two hundred and sell it for six hundred. That that does not produce income. So if it produces income to me so that I earn money without working, that's the stuff I buy. If it doesn't produce income and I can't see it producing income, I'm not interested. I'm a little confused. Now, do you buy income producing properties? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to dig into that a little bit deeper because um, I think how you evaluate income producing properties can be valuable for the best ever listeners and myself. When you look at a property and you're evaluating, let's let's take the uh, the row house, one of your two row houses that you bought within the last 12 months and rented them Section 8. How are you looking at the numbers? What do you do? So I'll give you an exact example for that last one. I think I paid 72 grand for it. It was a foreclosure. We put about 20 in it. So I had about 92 in it and I'm renting it now for 1400 So... I got 92 in it, let's say, and I'm renting it for 1400. And I, I would in Section 8, and you know that tenant, I, I'd imagine most of my Section 8 tenants stay a very long time, so hopefully they will. You know, Baltimore City government direct deposits into my bank account, say about twelve thousand dollars a month, right? Just you know, on the first of the month. <laughs> 12 grand is in my account that wasn't there last month. And that's beautiful. No checks, no bounce checks, no, oh, I'm running late or, you know, I, you know, I'm sick and I had to take a week off work. There's none of that stuff, right? I get that. That's $144,000 a year that I get. Now I'm going to have expenses, but still I'm making money, right? I'm, there's, there's cash flow and that happens automatically. That, that to me is perfect. You know, I, I love that. You like Section 8, clearly, because if you're getting these government checks, I imagine they're they're all from Section 8 tenants. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, a lot of my properties are either Section 8 or college students. And, and the reason is because the 
the market value of the rent is higher. Like Section 8 will, will give you like a 20% premium. You know, if I, that 1400 for instance, I might, I might get 1150 or something from a, a, a non-Section 8 family. The, some of these units that are, some of these houses that I have at University of Maryland College Park, I get, you know, four grand a month for. If I had a family move in, they would only be willing to pay maybe two, 2200 20, 2100 a month. So I go where the numbers make more income per the square footage of the house. As simple as that. I'm a businessman. When you're evaluating you know, Section 8 and college students, I imagine, at least with college students, the, the turnover is very cyclical. You mean you know exactly, and I know you know this, but you, you know exactly when they're going to be moving out because it's based on the semester. So what do you do to prepare for that? Same thing you do for any rental, you know. I mean, it's if, if you get in the right town, there's always going to be a demand. I've, I have two houses at, at the University of Maryland been rented by the same sorority for eight years, you know. I never have to market it. I never have to put it out there. I mean, they just turn it over within their sorority. There's always five new girls ready to move in. So you just have to make sure – Number one, your location is great. I mean, you can, the whole idea of off campus housing is that you can walk to campus, like just as close as a walk as the dormitories. And then you can charge rent that is competitive with the dormitories, whereas in someone could live in your house and get their own room for the same price as a dorm would cost, where they'd have to share a room. So it gives them that independence and that location. And the location, obviously, on a college campus is twofold. One, close to campus, two, close to the bars. So, you know, but the, being close to college campus is more important because they're all going to classes. Not all of them go to the bars. But anyways, that's what I do. And it's generally not – if you get in a hot college town, there's generally not a problem. Now, what can happen, which has happened to me in certain sections, is whenever you get in these hot college towns, the, the city government always give preferential treatments to the – apartment developers, or they'll get into the department developing game, apartment developing game themselves. And they'll jack up these high rises and, you know, suck the market out of the little guys that are renting out houses like me. So um, you got to be careful. That's almost inevitably going to be happening in any hot college market. And just supply and demand happens with that. I have one house that 10 years ago, I got $3,200 a month. Today, I only get $2,100 a month, two years, you know, 10 years later. And the reason I went from $3,200 to $2,100 is because in between that house and campus, three <laughs> apartment buildings have been built. So, you know, it just, it just sucked the wind out of the sails. But what am I going to do? Are you self-managing? I mean, I have a guy that works for me that manages them, yeah. You've got one guy who oversees your portfolio. Correct. And why hire one guy that oversees a portfolio versus having local property management companies? No reason. I mean, he, he works for my real estate company as well. And, and a long time ago, I said, hey, do you want to earn some extra money you know, and manage these properties? He said, yes. And... I've added and subtracted since then. And he's just always managed them for me. I pay him six and a half percent so I can get it for, you know, a little bit less than market. Our market might be nine or 10%. So, 
you know, I save some money there. Plus I know him, you know, and I trust him and, you know, he does a good job. And that's six and a half percent of the rental income collected? Yeah. Yeah. Of the gross rent. Well, we have, you have enlightened me on all sorts of things from Section 8 and college students to uh, kind of growing a portfolio. And I'm going to summarize what I've learned at the end. But first, let's let's get to the, the even kind of the, the, the meat of this. And that is what is the best real estate investing advice ever? Keep buying. You know, I, I'll finish my story in that, you know, you know, after I bought those three houses, the one that I lived in and the two others, I stopped buying. And this was like 1992. So I probably didn't buy anything from 1992 to about 2000, 2001. I think there was about nine years that I didn't buy anything. And these were the nine years in the 90s where it, was, it wasn't a bad market, but it wasn't a good market. It was just a flat market. It was just dull. You know, it was just normal. It was just like... The, the real estate market was, it was kind of like the automobile market or the furniture market or whatever. It's just, a, it wasn't a market that really was paid attention to or focused on and, you know, houses bought and sold, but not a lot. And so if I'd have just kept buying every year, I would have just added tons of houses to my portfolio in a very neutral market. And I would have made a, a ton of money in the 2000s. So so that would be the best advice ever, real estate-wise, is buy one thing a year. You know, just buy one thing a year. Just have that goal. And I do that now. I buy, you know, a lot more than one thing a year. But if I'd have just done that early on, I'd have been much better off. Some listeners might be thinking, I, I love that idea. I want to buy one a year, but I don't have the money. Yeah. What do you say to that? I, I don't know what to say to that. I mean, you know, Buy it in the ghetto, you know, buy something that's affordable. I think a lot of people think when they want to go buy a house is to buy a house in their neighborhood. Well, the reality of it is, is they're not good investments, probably. You know, I would never buy my next door neighbor's house for an investment. It would be terrible. I could I could take the money from that it would cost me to buy my next door neighbor's house and buy four or eight rental properties in Baltimore City and make, you know, four times as much as the rent that I would get on his house next door. So don't think, let me buy where I can see or let me buy where I can touch. You know, I say go go out a couple hours if you have to, you know, go where the numbers work. And uh, there's always markets where the numbers just don't make sense. I mean, I'm finding out about them all the time where I'm like, wait a minute. Like I found out about my daughter's in college and she's paying $2,800 a month. So I, I just moved her in last week and I'm moving her into this house and I'm sitting there and there's a for sale sign next door, right? The house next door to the house that she's paying 2,800 bucks a month is, and this is in South Carolina. This isn't even near me. So the house next door is selling for 172. So I, I called the real estate agent on the sign. They're like, it's sold. I'm like, okay, it's sold. So it's sold for, let's say, 172 or somewhere around 72. And, and she's paying 2800 next door. I'm like, man, I'm like, these numbers are good. I said, I'm going to come back here and look at some houses to buy. And that's 10 hours away from here, from where I live. But, you know, go where the numbers work. Don't go where you're comfortable. And what are your thoughts on... If we have money, but we're looking for a larger purchase, say wanting to do an apartment building, and that doesn't allow us to, or I don't know, maybe an office or, or office building, and because 
we're saving that doesn't allow us to buy a home a year or one purchase a year, would you recommend that we still proceed with the one property a year approach or is it more save up and buy a bigger thing and get that motel? Well, I think you need to get used to being a real estate investor by owning some small things. I think that's a natural step. I think that you know, a lot of people will go to will try to get into a syndicated apartment deal because it's easy. You can just write a check and forget about it. Now, unless you trust the people that you're doing this with and or there's a proven track record, it could be a little scary. Um, I have some apartment buildings that I have. All my apartment buildings have partners, right? I I, I, I don't want to say I couldn't, but I, I didn't buy a 300 unit apartment building by myself. You know, some of them I have two partners, some of them I have 10 partners. And you could see some of them if you go to uh, a website, DAPT Acquisitions, D A P T, D A P T Acquisitions. I think there might even be a form in there you could fill out. And uh, if we syndicate something, if we're looking for other investors on our next one, you can put your email in there and we'll email you the specifics of the next one we're looking at to uh, bring in outside investors. But, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't think I'd recommend if, if all you have is a hundred grand to just put that hundred grand in the, in an apartment building. I'd rather have you go out and buy three little row houses and, and rent those out. Any type of uh, specific financing? And I know you mentioned loan to value with the single families, but any type of financing plan or, or program that you like in particular? Nah, the rates are just so crazy right now. They're, they're, you know, it's a good time to borrow money. All right. Well, Pat, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Let's move into it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Pat, what's the best ever book you've read? As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. What is your best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Best ever personal growth experience was a mastermind that I got involved with called GoBundance. And it's a men's mastermind where businessmen from all over the, the world actually get together and share how to build wealth, how to make money, how to live great lives and stay healthy. Best ever success habit you practice? The best ever success habit I practice is affirmations. I've been doing them 25 years. I still do them to this day. Every little goal I set, I affirm in the positive record it on my cell phone and listen to it on my Bluetooth every morning. Best ever deal you've done? Yeah, it's funny because in real estate, every deal's they're like dominoes, right? You do a deal and, and you make a lot of money, but then you put it into the next deal. And depending on when you bought the next deal, like I, I remember I sold, I bought a house for 185 and I got, I sold it like four years later for four and a quarter. So I was like, hmm, I just made like, 250 grand in a couple of years. But then I took that money, I took all that cash and I put it into a shopping center. And that shopping center today has three vacancies out of eight out of the eight things that we can rent. So 
kind of like gambling, right? You win money on the craps table, and then if you stay in the game, you give it all back. So, so there's there's a lot of stories like that. But I would say that that was a nice one. In a couple of years, if you take the first half of that equation, and I'm only talking about the wins, you know, I'm, I I made uh, several hundred thousand dollars real fast. What's the best ever project you're most excited about right now? You know, my podcast is very fulfilling, and Pat Hyman interviews real estate rock stars and. Also, I'm in the process of creating a, a 501c3 charity called Beyond My Block. And what we're doing is we're taking inner city kids and giving them experience outside of their blocks where they live. And uh, yesterday we took nine kids to a basketball camp and and it's just a brilliant experience, exhausting, but just just so fulfilling. And so I would say I'm, I'm most excited about that right now. Oh, that's really cool. What a good venture, and it's it's awesome that you've created it from the ground up. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun, uh, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I wanted to be the ones that took them to camp because I get the, I get a thrill out of it, and uh, if I, I could have just stuck them on a bus and paid extra more, more extra money, but I wanted to take them on a three-hour drive into the woods for camp, you know, and see their faces as they check in and see the signs that say, you know, beware of bears. And they're like, bears, what? And they don't <laughs> even get to see squirrels, you know, and then it's <laughs> bears. So, What's the best ever quote? Uh, the best ever quote comes from, you know, as a man thinketh, and it's impossible to dream within and stand still without. And I use that all the time. Impossible to dream within and stand still without. And then if I'm affirming to myself over and over again, and I'm, thinking a lot and I have a lot of time to think and process things I'm going to make stuff happen you know what I mean it's going to it's going to actualize on the outside what would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate it would probably be that period of time where I just didn't buy you know there's you know I had a, I heard a guy make a joke he said you know there's that book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and he said Napoleon Hill's wife is coming out with a book it's called Don't Think and Grow Rich and that's a joke that she's really not writing a book called Don't Think and Grow Rich. But that's that's where most real estate investors go wrong or want to be real estate investors go wrong is they think too much and then they don't buy. You know what I mean? So the way to get rich in real estate is don't think, just just pull the trigger and buy something, you know, just do it and then learn from that acquisition. Ah, uh, yes. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. So if I had just bought, you know, if I had just if I had just made when I was 20 one years old, 23 years old or whatever, and just said, okay, I'm going to buy, I'm 49 now. If I said, if I'm going to just buy one house a year, no matter what, right? Even if it's in the ghetto, right? Wherever it is, I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to learn from that, you know? And it just, I think that was a mistake that I didn't. And lastly, Pat, what's the best ever place to reach you? (laughs) I'm all over the damn place. I mean, you just go online and Google me, but uh, our podcast website is hybendigital.com dot com hybendigital.com and of course I'm all Facebook is probably our most used social media and uh, you can friend me on Facebook Pat thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and just talking through your story and you know your your accomplished journey to getting to the fifty thousand dollar a month income that's coming in where you've got the uh You've got the cash flow and now you're you're focused on, you know, other ventures as well as real estate and talking through, you know, your philosophy of just don't stop buying and taking concerted steps and, and making an effort to building your portfolio 
on an annual basis, even if you have to you know, buy properties uh, in areas that you don't live in. It's really where the numbers make sense and always being on the lookout for those properties like your trip to South Carolina where you're moving in your daughter. And you know, talking about how you put a decent amount down on your property is always you know, at least 20%. You wait until the loan to value is about 50, 60%. Then you see what options you have and see if you can trade up for, for something. And then talking about the last house that you bought in Baltimore, 72000 it was a foreclosure, put 20000 in it, renting it for 1400 You like Section 8. You like college student properties. And most importantly, you like income-producing real estate. <laughs> that came through loud and clear, my friend. And I think the best ever listeners, you know, it, it came through to them too. And the two most... I, I didn't ask you what are the best ever board games, but I think I know your two answers. There you go. <laughs> Monopoly and cash flow quadrant. Absolutely. So thank you for being on the show, sharing your advice, and we will talk to you soon. Joe, it was fun. Thanks. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes, so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever. 